I'm sorry, but you were getting handled. I, I really am done with this. Yeah, I, I would disagree with you about their identity. I think you're overselling Sean Clifford because you want to make that point about he left the game in a one score game. Are you ready to admit that they're a legit football team? I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not ready to say that they are playoff worthy. Do you think that Ian Book is an above average quarterback? Above average, yes. Mark, does Patrick Mahomes look like more than a better than an average quarterback to you? Oh my goodness. You and your revisionist history. This is the That's Debatable Podcast. Welcome to That's Debatable. This is Clint, and I'm here with Mark, and we are getting ready to recap week five of the NFL. And this was an interesting week, which I feel like maybe if you go back, and I haven't gone back to listen to all of our podcasts, but I feel like that sentence is how I start a lot of them, and maybe it's just kind of a cliche, generic start. <laughs> um, and there's, I, I guess there's, it's not that it isn't true. It's just, There's different reasons why it's interesting. Um this one was kind of a like the head scratching interesting, I guess. Um and what was interesting to me was how many pickers like should still have jobs going into week six. Um well, I mean we saw so many games either decided or like either decided by kicks or miss kicks or like you know, won and lost or had opportunities to win or opportunities to lose with kicks, like, more than any other week. I mean, there's been missed kicks, you know, every week. There's It seems like ever since they moved the extra point line back, there's been a lot of missed extra points and things of that nature. So, I mean, it's not that it's necessarily unusual to have a, a missed extra point or even to have missed field goals, but we had a game that we're going to talk about where there were five consecutive missed field goals between two different kickers. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I I don't claim to be like an NFL historian and I, maybe I should have done a little more homework before we recorded, but are, are you aware of any, any time that that has ever happened in an NFL game, five consecutive missed kicks? No, I have never seen anything like that before. Like both kickers trading back and forth, miss, miss kicks. I, there's just no way that that's ever happened before. Five times at the end of a game, no way. Yeah, and like in a row, which to me was the other bizarre. Yeah. It'd be one thing if like throughout the course of the game, there were five field goals missed, especially, you know, maybe in a game in December in Buffalo or something where there's a foot of snow and there's wind blowing almost sideways, you know, or I think I brought up on this podcast before um, a game I remember watching between the Broncos and Jets where the Jets were on the right hash. No, they were on the left. I think they were on like the left hash kicking a field goal and the wind was blowing so hard right to left that the kicker had to aim right of the right upright. And I literally have never seen anything like it. The ball literally blew across both uprights and missed to the left. And I mean, I've never seen a kicker line up so much to the right. It was like the 
you know, the memes you see of Madden and stuff of the kicker where the arrows pointed way off to the side. Like that's what this looked like. It looked like he was trying to kick it. It looked like he was trying to miss it wide right from the left hash. And it blew literally like across the face of the goalpost and missed left. It was just crazy. And so like I've seen, like I could understand if we're talking about that kind of a situation or if we're talking about some bizarre situation where throughout the course of the game, maybe you have teams attempting like 55, 60 yard field goals that are at the fringe of people's range anyway or something. But like we're talking chip shot field goals, 35 yard field goals, 40, you know, to 50, a a couple longer ones, but still um, five in a row in one game was just, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know that the NFL world has either. Um, But uh, anyway, let's start with the Thursday night game. So Rams and Seahawks, this one, um, the the Rams were only a two and a half point favorite. They were coming off of kind of an embarrassing loss, really, to um, the Arizona Cardinals, and they're on the road in Seattle. And we kind of figured they would bounce back, and they they bounced back in terms of like they got the win, but they struggled for most of this game, and it wasn't until late in the second half that they even took the lead, and then kind of distance themselves from the Seahawks who are a pretty poor defensive team for a team that used to be basically known for their defense. They're a pretty poor defensive team this season so far. Um, And then you add on top of that, Russell Wilson getting knocked out of the game. And I, you know, they're just when that defense of, of the Rams is already one of the top defenses in the NFL and you take out one of your main playmakers in Russell Wilson, uh, that obviously makes things difficult, and we saw the Seahawks kind of crumble from that point forward. And the Seahawks right now are, along with the 49ers, are in danger of kind of falling into irrelevancy pretty quickly here due to some injuries. Yeah, yeah. Russell Wilson obviously going down with the uh, the thumb injury, and looks like he's out at least four weeks, but I've heard possibly six to eight as well. Um, depending on how he heals from that, but um, yeah, I don't, I, and I don't know if if he stays in this game. If if you know, obviously Russell Wilson is a dynamic enough player that he can make a late run, um, and he can he can get a team up up and down the field very quickly and put up points. Um, but this one to me, even you know, even as close as it looks on, on the on the box score, it just felt like the Rams kind of controlled the dynamic of the game, and um, definitely one that they needed to get back after losing to the Cardinals. Um, and I think this just sh- shows us a little bit more how good the Cardinals are defensively. I think that's a really, really good defensive football team and um, things with their offense are clicking pretty well too. So, um, but yeah, this is, this is a big win for the Rams and, and another, I thought, you know, pretty solid day from, from Matt Stafford. Yeah. The, um, the NFC West has gone from like the strongest division in the NFC, at least to I wouldn't say the weakest. I'd say the NFC East is still the NFC least. Um, But at this point, I would say you could probably argue the South is the strongest in the NFC because Tampa obviously is playing at a very high level. The Carolina Panthers are playing a lot better than I think people anticipated, which does give a little bit of indication to Sam Darnold. Obviously, um, 
well, as the Jets continue to struggle, struggle even without him. And I, I realize he hasn't been MVP caliber or anything like that, but I think the Jets were kind of making him maybe a little bit more of a scapegoat for the struggles that they were having when in reality, that's just a garbage organization that can't seem to, you know, put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, no, I agree. But the Panthers have dropped two games straight ever since Christian McCaffrey got hurt. So I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with you uh, as far as Sam Darnold is like playing better football and he's got, you know, better options all in all assets of the game. But um, losing two straight after starting 3-0 without Christian McCaffrey, I think that just still says, you know, how much McCaffrey is vital to their offense. I mean, you're talking about averaging, you know, what, 50, 40 to 50 touches per game. And, I mean, that's I mean that's why he's hurt because they have so much out of him. So, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm with you as far as, as far as the NFC South. I mean, obviously, anytime – You've got Tom Brady playing the level that he's playing. That division is, you know, it's going to be hard to win games. The Saints, I think, have have kind of come to where I thought they would be. Like they're kind of plateauing in a direction where I thought that was probably more realistic. And and they really haven't even looked like a very good football team since beating the Packers. And who really knows what that one's about? But um, yeah, the Panthers are surprising. But if if McCaffrey comes back healthy enough, they're going to win a lot of football games. I mean way more than you would expect. Right. And I think, um, yeah, I think right now, as of, again, we're, we're five weeks done. I would say the NFC South is the best division in the NFC, but the NFC West is close. And some of those losses in there are teams playing each other already as well, which I get that the NFC South has done that too. Um, but like, I would say the 49ers, are certainly better than the Falcons and probably better than the Saints, even though they're, you know, a game opposite of them. Um, and so I, you could probably still make the argument, and I wouldn't push back too much on the NFC West being the, the best division in the NFC. They are still home to the league's best defense and the league's only undefeated team. Um, but with the loss of Wilson and now with, potentially a loss of Trey Lance for even just a little bit. And Garoppolo seems to always have injury problems. Like it's definitely, you know, the, the cream is rising to the top already in that division for sure. Um, And then like the North is kind of a mess there. The team, the NFC's worst team there um, in the lions. And then obviously like the Vikings having their struggles and things. So Yeah, it just it's kind of interesting, but um, yeah, not a lot to say about that game. Particularly, we both had the Rams winning and covering because it was only it was less than a field goal, and they did. Um, one that was interesting here was Packers Bengals, and I know you watched this one closely as um, a Packers fan. And so normally I throw those to you first because it's kind of your team, but I'm just going to throw my two cents in because I only really watched the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was watching the Broncos like think that they could win a game by playing 30 minutes instead of 60 minutes. Uh, And so I only watched uh, the end of the Packers game, like the end of regulation and into overtime. And so I missed a lot of the, uh, the field goal missing fun uh, from the Crosby show. And I don't even know the kicker from the Bengals, but um, Pearson. Yeah. This was one. I actually thought that the Packers 
were going to be, I think I had maybe even said that they would probably win this by like 10. So I didn't see this coming down to an overtime game. I thought this was maybe a a 13 to 17 point comfortable lead for the Packers and then give up maybe a late, fairly meaningless score to make it about 10. And um, so I was surprised by that. But I think what surprised me about it really wasn't as much on the Packers side. Like, I feel like I got what I expected to get from Green Bay in that game. I was actually surprised at how well the Bengals played. And I mean, if you look at Cincinnati right now, they're, they're a couple of field goals, not like ironically <laughs> enough from being undefeated yeah. um, and sitting in first place in the AFC North Um and yeah, the, the poor little fellow, man, he thought he hit the game winner and he's like jumping up on the, you know, on the long snapper or the holder or whoever, and he's cheering. And then like all of a sudden he whips his head around and <laughs> there's still some game to be played. And oh man, what a, what a bizarre ending. And that one was close. I don't know if you could have gotten much closer. You know, I mean, it, it kind of scraped over what would have been the extended upright you know if they go up you know in infinitely he would have hit hit the post um i think probably maybe the outside of the post but still like about as close as you can get and not make it um and <laughs> he's so excited man oh, I, I, it was whew, that was a rough one he made freezing cold takes like five minutes later and i'm like that's a little harsh i don't know that that's a freezing cold take uh as much as just like a bad moment that you misread the situation. But um, yeah, I all I really have to say is I, I have been so impressed by Joe Burrow for one. He took another big shot in this game, was taken to the hospital afterwards. Um, just like his toughness is clearly coming out in his leadership of this team. And at three and two, you know, you could maybe make the argument they're one of the best two lost teams. I, I don't like getting into the weeds of that too much, but um, they're certainly, as we said earlier in in the season, they're not a team that they have been that they're just going to roll over and like, oh, we've got Cincinnati, like let's just pencil in a W and let's play above average and mm-hmm. we can walk out with, with a win. Like this is a team that, as the Packers saw, like they're going to fight you to the very last second of the game and then, you know, in this situation, into the additional seconds of the game. Um and uh, yeah, man, just a weird, a weird ending. But uh, what were what were your thoughts watching it? Yeah, kind of watching it start to finish. I don't even have words to explain how that how this game ended. Like I had even messaged you, like, oh, and after one miss, like, and Crosby had missed the extra point, and I just was like, whatever. Like w- we've seen this from him. It's been a while. Like he's been a pretty decent kicker for the last couple of years and very reliable. And then he missed the first one, and I literally texted you right away, and I was like, "Well, Mason Crossbar returns." Like he dun- he dinks one off of the goalpost, and then what? You know, the debacle that happened after that. Like I've done everything I can to erase it from my memory because I'm just happy to get a win in this game. And in our preview, I actually called like I think I called this game pretty close to how it actually played out. I said that missing Jair Alexander was going to be big, um, especially because of Jamar Chase, and they utilized Jamar Chase a lot. And he had an incredible game. And him and Joe Burrow have that connection. They've played with each other before. Um, and, and then again, T. Higgins, like as a good second wide receiver, he makes plays. 
And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is something that Packers have to worry about moving forward is missing Jair Alexander and, and using Kevin King and the rookie Eric Stokes um, in his in his place because we've seen Kevin King give up big plays. And Eric Stokes, while I've been you know fairly happy with how he's played, he's still a rookie and he's still got things to learn. And um, great wide receivers like Jamar Chase, like they make plays, they make plays happen. Um, so I really wasn't surprised with this being a close game. Um, and I've been impressed with the Bengals all year. And like you said, very, very close to being a 5-0 football team if, if a couple of things go their way and if they clean up a couple of things here and there. You know, a Joe Burrow pick in overtime in this game could have been a difference. Like it was a difference maker because it's another Packer possession. Um, and the same thing with the Bears. So that's, you know, two, two mistakes. But Joe Burrow is, is, you know, I think he was kind of gypped of his rookie season and, you know, the chance to play for rookie of the year because I think he's an incredible quarterback. And I think he's going to grow into this team and they're going to grow around him. And, you know, with this, with what I'm seeing right now, I feel like the Bengals are maybe two to three years away from being a really, really good football team. So let me ask you this question. You, you know, your team obviously is dealing with the Aaron Rodgers thing of like, is he going to even be around next year? Was he going to be around this year? Be all that. At, at some point in the next year or two, I've got to imagine he moves on from them, whether he retires or whatever. So if you could replace Aaron Rodgers and you had to choose between Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, who would you rather have as the quarterback of the Packers? <laughs> oh, I hate you for this question. Um, well, I, mean, I, I don't know that either of those guys, I mean, yeah, I'm a Broncos fan and we haven't had a quarterback since Peyton Manning. That's been reliable. I would take either of them in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, you, you know, but I know you've had some hesitancy with Herbert. He's emerged as one of the premier quarterbacks in the AFC, but Joe Burrow brings just kind of that blue collar, hardworking mentality to the field. And like I said, it comes through in his leadership of a team uh, and this is kind of what, what spurred that question in my mind is I heard him referred to earlier this week as like the next Philip Rivers. Like he's going to go out and make some big plays for you. He's going to throw some interceptions that are going to hurt you and leave you just kind of kicking and screaming. Um, but he's always going to be exciting to watch. He's going to be tough. He's going to like be a passionate dude. Um and so I was thinking about kind of, you know, Rivers and the Chargers, and it got me thinking about Justin Herbert and the Chargers. But as you think about those two guys, like, who would you rather have moving forward? I think Justin Herbert. And, and here's why. Because while he's not necessarily considered a, a mobile quarterback, he's got that Rodgers, like, shiftiness to him. He can get out of the pocket and make, com- you know, throws comfortably. He can um, he can think on the fly and, 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 and orchestrate things as he's on the go. Um, also his size, like he's got incredible size to him. Um, and he throws the ball pretty accurate. He's got a strong arm. Um, so as much as I, I think Burrow again would be a good, another good option. I a hundred percent agree with that, but I think that, um, not, not that Burrow is necessarily like pure pocket passer either. Like I've seen him get out of the pocket a little bit, but I think that Rogers and Herbert, when you look at how they play, there's a lot of similarities there. Um, and I think that, you know, Joe Burrow could play quarterback in New England. And I think he'd be a good New England quarterback. Like, So um, that's that's why I would choose Herbert. All right. Yeah, I was just kind of curious there. And I, I do like pressing you on the Justin Herbert thing from time to time. But um, <laughs> all right, we'll move on to the next game. Uh, speaking of Justin Herbert. So the next one that we had was Chargers Browns. 
Um, and this was one that you had picked Cleveland in. Um, I think some of it, I'm just guessing, and you can correct me here. I think some of it was just like you kind of wanted to see the Chargers go down and because it would kind of vindicate some of your skepticism of of Justin Herbert. Um, you know, if they were three and two versus four and one. Um, but the Chargers are another team that, you know, if they knew how to like audible a play and get set before they snap the ball are potentially undefeated, you know, an illegal shift turned a touchdown into a field goal for them that ended up being a game winning field goal for Dallas. So, um, you know, and he's looked so good since that time. He actually kind of stumbled out of the gate and had, I think four or five turnovers in the first two games. And I don't think he has had one since. Um, but the chargers seem to be kind of clicking and if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, that's got to really scare you after the the week that they had with Buffalo because now you're effectively three games behind because the Chargers own the tiebreaker over you right now in the division, and it was at your place. So, um, But the Chargers-Browns, like this was an interesting one. Baker continues to struggle. And I, again, I, I pointed out in the preview he's been playing with a – a torn labrum, I think, in his non-throwing shoulder, um, which certainly affects you. And he played a little bit better in this game, but um, this was this was probably one of the more exciting games that not many people probably saw because of the markets that it would have fallen into. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot more people would have had probably like the Steeler game, which is, you know, kind of unfortunate because the Broncos Steelers was not it ended exciting, but it wasn't as exciting as this one. Um and it didn't have as good of team either neither of those teams are as good as either of these teams. Um so I think this is one that probably not a lot of people saw unless you're like at a sports bar or a B dubs or something. Um but what what did you think with this game? It was kind of going on, I think, at the same time as your Packer game. So I don't know that you saw it a whole lot. Yeah, no, I when when I when the Packers were on, that was the only game on. But I was paying attention to some scores and and things that are happening and also I had to be creative to watch this game because it wasn't in my market either. So, I was getting updates popping up on my screen from the other games. Um, but this was this was a Browns game again where like they got off to a really fast start. Like they I mean their second quarter was incredible. They put up uh 17 points in the second quarter and they were handling, you know, business. They were taking care of business. Um they looked pretty decent. And you mentioned, you know, Baker struggling. Like when you look at his numbers, they're pretty good numbers, but he struggles late in the game. And I think that's where maybe fatigue just sets in. We see the same thing happen with them against the Chiefs. They got off to a quick start, fell off pace, and, you know, ended up in a dogfight. And you, that's these are two teams you don't want to get into a tough match with at the end of the game where you're trying to put up more points than them. Um, and they played particularly well. And also, you know, for the Chargers, um, Mike Williams has been a huge difference maker for them this year, and it's somebody mm-hmm. that Herbert has relied on so much. I mean, he, he's had an incredible season, and um, even in this game, you were you know they were able to lean on Austin Eckler a little bit more too, um, especially to punch in through the red zone. Um, so, you know, when this team is clicking on all cylinders like this, and I don't know, you know, this wasn't a great defensive effort for them, and they actually haven't really had a, a great defensive effort either. Um, you know, you talked about how they, you know, had gotten the four turnovers against the Chiefs, but then still were in danger of losing that game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't have a great defensive effort against the, the Cowboys, which you know you can you can say that an illegal shift 
you know, cost them the game or, you know, at least set up for that, for that to be an option. But again, I mentioned like, you know, Dallas able to hang in there and, and even be in the ball game. So I'd like to see if, if, if there's weaknesses with the Chargers team, which there is, it's definitely defensively. Um, but they kind of have like a 2018 Chiefs feel to them, which I think is scary. Yeah, like you said, especially if you're a Chiefs fan, big time scary. Yeah, it'll. That's a team that we're gonna have to keep an eye on. I I would argue right now uh, that the Chargers are the second best team in the AFC. Um, you could maybe make an argument for the Ravens. Uh, especially after their big comeback win last night. But, I mean, I think it has to be the Bills first, especially after they beat the Chiefs, and they've just been cruising along ever since that week one loss. Um, but in my mind, it would be it would be Bills and then Chargers in the AFC. And then from there, it kind of, you can muddy the, and then, then Baltimore. I would put Baltimore third. Uh, and a, a close third behind the Chargers, but then from there, I think you could kind of make some different arguments about different teams. But um, certainly an interesting and and worth keeping our eyes on there. Um, again, I mentioned before the Chiefs have won the last five straight AFC West. Before that, the Broncos um, I think won the previous five, going back to the Tim Tebow days and like. Then before that, I think might have been the last time the Chargers won. So we're talking either way over a decade since they've won the division. And it's very early in the season. We're only a quarter of the way through. Injuries can happen. A lot of different things can happen. But they've certainly come out of the gate and put themselves in a good position. Speaking of things can happen, uh, the Chiefs, man, two and a half point favorites at home. This is now their... Third loss and their second home loss. So, and and this was, I mean, I know you can argue weather played a factor, and there were times as I was watching it that it certainly did. I mean, you had some just torrential downpours, but it's not like, you know, it only rained on one side of the field or when one team had possessions. You know, like both teams had to deal with the same elements, both quarterbacks, both kickers, both running backs, receivers, all of that. And the Bills just, I mean, just dominated uh, in this game from start to finish. Um, you know, the Chiefs, you thought maybe there for a second were going to make it a game kind of at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, because I think, I'm trying to check here and make sure that I got this right, but I think they got it down to like 10 uh, right early in the fourth quarter. Um, where, here we go, sorry. Um yeah, so a minute and 15 seconds into the fourth quarter, they made it an 11-point game. Yeah. And so, you know, to go from 18 to 11, it's one of those where most, sometimes those statistics get skewed a little bit of like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is going to make up an 18-point deficit, but it's like the clock is, it's like first and goal from the inch line, and the clock runs out in the third quarter, you know, and so then they run one play in the fourth quarter and then it's like, oh, he comes back from this huge deficit. And it's like, ah, but in reality, they were pretty much already there. Um, but you kind of were like, OK, here's that touchdown. Now it's 31 to 20. You know, if they can get a stop, this Chiefs offense is, you know, is always 
potent and capable of putting up a lot of points. Um, and it just it didn't happen. Uh, instead, they kind of traded some possessions here. But Kansas City, this is also both of their home losses. They had four turnovers in that game. Um, and if the offense is going to turn the ball over four times with the way that their defense is playing, like this could be a really long season for Denver, for Denver, for Kansas city. Um, I've suffered through a lot of long seasons in Denver, as you can tell. Um, (laughs) but I mean, if you look at their, uh, their schedule so far and who they've played and I, I gave them even a little bit of a pass because they've played very good teams, the Browns, Ravens, chargers, Eagles, not so much. And the bills, I mean, if the playoffs were to start today, kind of a scenario, three of those four teams are playoff teams and the Bills would have a first round bye. So, um, you know, that, that kind of changes things a little bit in that perspective. But um, they've given up, uh, let's see here, they've given up 29, uh, 36, 30, 30, and 38. Um, and so I think they were like, I think someone was saying they're the first team in NFL history or maybe the second team in NFL history to go from winning the Super Bowl to allowing over 28 points a game in their first five games to start the following season. Um, and it it feels like what the chiefs did is say that, look, you know, we're just going to totally invest in the offense and we're going to make sure that we keep. Mahomes and Kelsey and and some of these other guys. And if you know, because anytime you're good for very long, like guys start wanting to get paid. That's why it's hard to keep teams together. And that it seems like the approach has been we'll we'll let the defense go. And I mean, you could definitely say they've let the defense go because um man, like that that's a rough start. I, I would imagine they can bounce back against the Washington football team, even on the road. Um but goodness, like that's just that's been a rough start for the Chiefs. And, you know, hats off to the Bills because the last time they played in Kansas City, they they got boat raced in that game and they came ready to play. Josh Allen was phenomenal, uh, 315 yards and three touchdowns uh, through the air. And then 11 carries, 59 yards. He jumped over a guy to get a first down on kind of a critical possession late in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was exciting to watch. It was even more exciting to watch for me because it was against the Chiefs and I hate the Chiefs and because I have Josh Allen um, in my fantasy team. So it was like about as exciting of a play as I could have asked for aside from a touchdown. <laughs> um, but uh, And then your guy, Dawson Knox, three catches, 117 and a touchdown. So, I mean, yeah. that guy. was a nice surprise for them. And if they can find an additional weapon there uh, with already having Emmanuel Sanders, Stephon Diggs, and now you bring in Dawson Knox as a third legit target. This Buffalo Bills team may be a very scary team in the AFC. Yeah, and on the other hand, the Chiefs are not so scary this year, and I think there's so much work that needs to be done there. Um, if 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 you want to see the Chiefs in, in the AFC Championship, again, there's a lot of work to be done, and it isn't really even just on defense because they've – gone in that game without a great defense i i think that a lot of this comes to just sloppiness i've seen patrick Mahomes. this is what their second time playing on sunday night football and maybe even their third like actual prime time you know all eyes on them matchup and so i've seen 
in all of those games that where Mahomes looks really good at sometimes, and then there's other times where I feel like he just plays really sloppy and like he's trying to force something to happen. And I don't know what kind of like chip he's carrying on his shoulder this year. As you know, like nobody was blaming him for the loss in the Super Bowl. Like he played out of his mind, and and a lot of times his own wide receivers weren't helping him out in that game. And he faced an incredible defense, an incredible pass rush. He was running for his life. So I don't know. Like I don't know anybody who was sitting there after that Super Bowl loss criticizing Mahomes and saying he's got to do better, he's got to be better, or he's got to make things happen. Because he he doesn't. He's proven himself to me to be a, a great dynamic quarterback that can go out and win you football games. And this year, I've seen him go out and and lose some football games because he, he's he's played a little slop. He's turned the ball over. And then as a team, they're turning the ball over. And you also are now going to see an interesting situation where they're not going to have Clyde Edwards E. So, you know, who's up? Who's up next? I saw some reports earlier today saying that they're they're eye, they're eyeing uh, Marlon Mack. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of pieces with this football team that need to be polished up if you want to see them in the AFC Championship again, because I think there's a there's a very clear danger of that not happening this season. I hope that's the case. I'm tired of the Chiefs. As of right now, they would be a wild card team playing on the road, no less. So uh, we'll see what happens with Kansas City. Oh, that guy annoys me. Anyway, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on either of these next two, but definitely this next one. 49ers Cardinals. This was boring. Um, it was a boring game. Like, there's just no other way to to slice it. I mean, it was 17 nothing at half. The the 49ers scored late in the third and it's just, it was never a game. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It was boring. Kyler wasn't particularly dynamic or fun to watch, but the Cardinals got another win and remain, remain undefeated. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't have, I don't know if you have anything to add, but I, I didn't really have much to say about this game. Like, especially with, um, uh, Trey Lance getting hurt. It's just like, Okay, I'm just really not that interested in this game right now. Yeah, it wasn't that interesting of a football game, but I think you you know if you like defensive football, like our guest on our college football episode, uh, Matt, he uh, loves defensive football. You definitely wanted to watch this one. Then great defenses, um, low scoring game, so that's pretty much what you expect. Yeah, and then the last um, the last game that we just had on here because it was kind of. Um, you know, Denver had started out three and zero, and then took a pretty tough loss. Uh, got their quarterback knocked out. Got one of their remaining wide receivers knocked out in that game. They were both back, Deontay Spencer and Teddy Bridgewater, for the Pittsburgh game. And I had given the conditional pick of Denver if Brid- Bridgewater played, and he looked very, very like all of the things that people criticize him for just came to light. Just captain check down, like not pushing the ball down the field, just very boring offense. There's been a lot of complaining about um, Shermer, Pat Shermer and his play calling. Um, and so that one was kind of ugly. They made it a game late. Uh, and then Bridgewater decided that, you know, with the game on the line and fourth and goal from the two yard line would be a good time to throw his first interception of the season. Uh, and that, that effectively ended uh, that game, but the Broncos, can't run the ball right now um and until they can it's going to be really hard for them to continue winning now they have a favorable matchup this week i would argue because for one it's at home 
for two, it's the Raiders, and they they typically play the Raiders well at Mile High, but the Raiders are kind of in a mess, and we won't get into that on this podcast, maybe in the preview um, because of the whole John Gruden situation. But um, So they're a team without a coach and a team to some degree without an identity. So they're going to need to bounce back, but they're going into a game where, you know, that a loss for whoever it is, Denver or uh, Vegas, that's going to be um, – a big one because that means you're going to start out three and zero and then drop three straight. So we can talk about that in the preview, but I didn't have much to say. The Steelers were better. Big Ben wasn't great, but he was good enough. The biggest difference was Najee Harris um, just running the ball better than he had the rest of the season combined. Um, and in addition to his pass catching ability. So um, the Steelers won this one. It was closer in the end than it kind of felt like it should have been. Um, and that's why I just I think the Steelers are going to struggle this year because I don't think Denver's a great team, especially offensively. And to let them come and be within six feet of potentially tying the game is is scary, especially in Pittsburgh. So that takes us to our guarantees. Um, so your guarantee took care of business in a big way, n- kind of a no doubter what you would expect from a guaranteed win. And that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, They are the Buccaneers and they boat raced the Miami Dolphins. Um, It just, Tom Brady looked like he was 35 years old, um, you know, playing in a skills competition. I mean, it's just like throwing the ball all over the field. It just, it was never, never a game. Um, my guarantee squeaked it out in the last possible moment. Uh, I picked the Ravens thinking, you know, a good matchup against the Colts. It was at home. Colts have been pretty bad. The Ravens have been kind of up and down, but finding ways to win. And that's really what happened here. Like they got way down and Lamar Jackson did everything they could possibly do. The only thing that he didn't do is keep that stupid hundred yard streak alive. Um, (laughs) that they felt the need to run a play with three seconds in Denver to keep alive. Um, so they, they will, uh, remain in second place for the longest streak of a hundred, uh, of hundred yard consecutive games, but he threw for 400 plus, um, and rushed for like 60 or 70 yards. I mean, he did everything you could ask him to do. Uh, he did have a critical fumble that could have potentially cost them the game, but then he pretty much willed them to win it. Um, bringing them all the way back, hitting Mark Andrews for the uh, the game tying touchdown and the actual game tying two point conversion, um, and then coming down and and winning the game uh, with a late touchdown pass in overtime on the opening drive. Um, so an impressive come from behind win for Baltimore. He's now three and one in games. Um, in which he has trailed by six, I think sixteen or more points. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that is impressive. And he, yeah, he he balled out in this game. Uh, but another weird one where you saw Rodrigo Blankenship like miss a field goal. Um, by the way, thirteen extra points were missed this week in the NFL, and who knows how many field goals? I mean, we're talking about five in one game, so ridiculous. That's that's not a small number. I mean, I know there are a lot of points put up and so a lot of opportunities, but that's not a small number. That's crazy. Um, I don't there. There should not be more two point conversions converted <laughs> than 
extra points missed in a given week. Like that's just ridiculous. Uh, and yet that's, that's kind of what we saw. Um, the Ravens tried to give this away. So the game tie and touchdown was nice. And I didn't realize how much time was still left. Like they scored with like 40 something seconds and a credit to Carson Wentz because he, you know, he came back out after they tied the game and, you know, obviously from a just mental exhaustion and emotional standpoint, you've been leading as a fairly significant underdog. No one was really giving you much chance to win this game and you're running the ball really good with, um, Jonathan, um, oh goodness. I'm Taylor. totally blanking on his name. Thank you, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he was he was running the ball particularly well, but Carson Wentz also played fantastic football. Um, and this was really just on Baltimore making more plays down the stretch. Like Carson Wentz did about all you could expect, and maybe even more based on how he's played so far this season. But he actually got them in position, and it, it was interesting because so they marched the ball to like midfield with still about 30 seconds to go. And then they, they took an ugly holding penalty that backed them up to their own 40. And so it's like, man, now you got to go like 25 yards in about 30, 25 to 30 seconds. And it's like, oh, this is going to be tough. Like this game's probably going to overtime. Then at the end of a play on third down, I think even, um, and I don't know what the Colts would have done. I imagine they would have punted because it, like, they would have had to have punted. They were on their own 40-yard line. So you can't just hand them the ball there. Otherwise, they're making like one or two plays and then kicking a potential game winner. So, Or at the 40, that'd be a 67-yarder. So who knows? Justin Tucker might just give it a go from that distance. But um, So they would have had to have punted the football and one of the players, and I don't remember who it was, but he was kind of getting his face shoved into the ground. And it's always the retaliation that draws the penalty. And he hopped up and shoved one of the Colts players, um, who in turn then just completely flopped <laughs> and sold the shove because it was this little dude uh, shoving him. And he just flops and falls down and draws a personal foul unnecessary roughness penalty that not only puts them on the plus side of the 50, um, but gives them a, a brand new set of downs now with 30 seconds. And so then they got about another 10 yards for a pretty reasonable distance field goal. Um, and yeah, he just, he totally missed it. Um, you know, he just pulled it a little bit too much and they even lined it up for him too. Like they lined it up dead center. Um, <laughs> and he just pulled it too much to the left just by maybe a foot. Um, and that was crucial. Um, again, there were so many times that kickers could have won games for their team or like put themselves in a position where they had to go for two later or something because of a, a missed opportunity early on. And, and you know, he has to be waking up pretty, feeling pretty bad about himself this morning because of overtime. But here's... Here's my thing, and we've talked about this in overtime, and and this is now the second Ravens game that's gone to overtime. And we haven't talked about it because it has sort of worked itself out so far this season, but this was the perfect example of why the NFL overtime is stupid. And, uh, like, 
I don't know how else to say it. It's stupid. It's better than it was before where you could just march down like 30 yards and kick a field goal <laughs> and and walk off a team with a field goal. And it was basically like as long as you won the coin toss, you had like a 70% chance of winning in overtime. But so like it's better than that, but it's still stupid. I mean, yeah. all it is is like it went from being very, very, very stupid to just very, very stupid. <laughs> And the reason and and you can tell me if you disagree, but the reason to me that it's stupid is, uh, again, you know, the Baltimore, they they made some fantastic plays and came back to tie that game. But Carson Wentz played arguably his best game of the season and just stood there on the sidelines for like six minutes while Lamar Jackson marched his team down the field with all the momentum because of the comeback and then the missed field goal. So with all the momentum, he just marches him right down the field, scores a touchdown, and everybody goes home. And Carson Wentz has no opportunity to even touch the ball. I just don't understand how in the NFL, where they supposedly take so much pride in the brand and in like the competitiveness of the league, um, how... You know, and they've they've made rule changes and all these different things to try to make the games more competitive while still making them, you know, safer and stuff. And they've made kind of, in my opinion, some stupid rule changes. Onside kicks are almost pointless anymore. Um, but the overtime rule is just, I mean, it's just so dumb. And it's especially dumb if you think about kickers' inability to make extra points since moving the extra point back because you could have a situation where now with Justin Tucker, he's about as reliable as they come, but let's just say that it gets blocked or that for some reason he misses that extra point. Now Carson Wentz gets to come out on the field and have a possession and see if they can score a touchdown and kick an extra point and win, or let's say they score the extra point. So, you know, like they, they come out and, march down the field and score and they go up seven and then the Colts are like you know what we're one and three and like we've played this team pretty tough like let's just go for it on two and see if or go for two i mean uh and see if we can just win this right now uh but the fact that the nfl the highest level of football in the world I mean, unquestionably we we saw the nfl europe it was kind of a joke there's nothing that compares to the nfl and yet you can have games end in a tie and you can have a guy who just played his heart out stand there on the sideline with both hands holding his shoulder pads, just hoping to get into the game. Like, tell me that that's not stupid. No, it's absolutely ridiculous. And again, you know, we haven't really, this is one of the first instances that we've even seen this this year, um, but it's happened so many times. You think about Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs that could have, you know, that was a, that was a game that was going to send a team to the Super Bowl. He never saw the field in that game, even after some questionable calls. If you think about this week, you could have seen potentially Aaron Rodgers sidelined in overtime if the Bengals would have marched down and put up a touchdown instead of turning the ball over and miss kicks and all that other other yeah. you know, all that other stuff. MVP like, quarterback. Exactly. No, it, it's horrible and it's got to be fixed. Like, how much longer is are we going to put up with this kind of overtime rule? I don't get it. And to me, like. I don't always, I take this back. I do always claim pretty much to have all the answers because I view myself as a pretty intelligent dude. But <laughs> but with this one, I really don't think this is that complicated. 
I get if you want to say, hey, college is a little too easy. Getting the ball on the 25-yard line, I mean, like you're starting in field goal range in college, even for most college kickers, like you're starting in field goal range. Like, that's fine. Start, start it at midfield. I don't care. Start it on your own 25. Like, make them go 75 yards to score, but at least give each team an opportunity to possess the ball in in an untimed overtime. Mm-hmm. Like, the only clock that should exist in overtime should be the play clock. And because that's the other thing. The Ravens took at least half of the overtime period on their drive. I mean, they scored with like eight minutes to go. So they took seven minutes and it's like, you know, maybe they get a couple of holding penalties or maybe some things bounce around like, cause here's the other thing. So let's say they then kick a field goal, but they kick a field goal with like 25 seconds left in overtime. And so now the Colts get to possess the ball but they get to possess the ball for 25 seconds. <laughs> and and they've have, at that point like if the clock's been running they've probably used their two timeouts. So like good luck guys, you need to go like you know 40 to 50 yards to try to tie the game and then you don't really have much chance to win the game. <laughs> you know, and it's it's going to just end in a tie, which is for any professional sport like, I don't think any professional sport should ever end in a tie. Like, I know that soccer does. I know that hockey does. But it just, it's so dumb. Can you imagine the NBA if you could just end in a tie? <laughs> like, hey, it's 140 to 140, and, like, the fans have had a great show. Thanks for coming out, everyone. <laughs> like, have a safe trip home. Like, that'd be ridiculous. And so, in football especially, where I mean basketball you could even argue probably lends itself to the multiple overtime like well probably probably the least because you have two pointers and three pointers and and free throws and all that but like I mean we've seen basketball games go to several overtimes but if you're talking about football games And you could do what college did and just say, not only like you could, uh, you could like eliminate kicking and just say, there's no extra points or field goals in overtime allowed. Yeah. Like you have to score a touchdown and go for two or nothing. Like that's it. That's the only option. And that would still be better than the current model (laughs) because the current model just says like, you can come down and as long as you, Like, as long as you have a good enough offense, and here's the thing. So, this game didn't go to overtime at, like, 10 to 10. It didn't go to overtime because, you know, these two defenses were just locked down. And most games don't. Like, they go to overtime with the game tied in the 20s or 30s a lot of times. And so, it's like, the games are going to overtime because of the offense. And the NFL does so many things to give the advantage to the offense. And so then you're saying as long as your offense, which we've skewed officiating and rules to favor, if they can score a touchdown, the other team's offense doesn't even get to come on the field. Like to me, that's just so stupid. And like personally, what I would like to see is I would like to see 
something very similar to the college version. I would say give him the ball at the 50. Like, give him the ball at midfield because you are professionals, so I don't think you should necessarily just put them in scoring range to start the drive. Like, I'm fine with that. Like, make them at least get a first down or or most of a first down to be able to kick a field goal. I'm 100% on board with that. But let's get rid of the clock in overtime, except the play clock. And and even in in reality, the play clock would be kind of irrelevant too, but that would be weird to not have it because who <laughs> knows? You could just sit there making like pre-snap adjustments for 20 minutes. But um, <laughs> Notre Dame would love that, but we'll save that for the college. Um <laughs> You know, just keep looking over to the sideline like 37 times. Should we check out of this look? Okay. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like, make them have to get the better part of 10 yards. I mean, because even five yards, that's a 62-yard field goal from the 45. Um, 62, 63-yard field goal. So, I mean, you pretty much need to get to the 40 or more. So you pretty much would need to get a first down to feel comfortable even attempting a field goal. So start at midfield. Each team gets a chance. And if you want to say no extra points, kind of speed it up because that was the college thing. Like they made the rule because of that game several years ago that went to like seven overtimes because they just both teams kept scoring and kicking the extra point. And so it's like no more extra points. Like we got to we got to do something to bring the game to a conclusion. That's fine. Like, I don't even care if you do that from the beginning or like college, do it on your second possession. Um, But there's just so many dynamic playmakers that to not even have an opportunity, you know, you look at that, that Baltimore Kansas city game and Baltimore won that, you know, in regulation, but imagine that game goes to overtime and you have two of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL on opposite sidelines, and one of them potentially doesn't even get to step on the field for a chance to win. Like, that's just a travesty. I don't understand how that's still, like, a thing in the NFL. I just don't understand it. Like I said, the the current version is better because you can't walk someone off on an opening drive field goal, yeah. but I, it's, it's like 2% better. <laughs> I mean, it's... And it was so bad before. So that that was my only real takeaway from, I mean, again, I didn't really care who won this game. I wanted the Ravens to win because we've both, like, been, for as much as we've missed some of these other games, you want to feel like you can get your guarantee. And this was this was a hard week for me. I wasn't really sure who to pick. But then I thought, you know what, this is a good matchup for the Ravens. So that was literally the only reason I wanted them to win. But it was actually a really exciting game in the fourth quarter. And so it's like, man, this this game, like I feel like the fans were robbed in this game because they saw this epic comeback. But, man, like Carson Wentz, if I'm him, I'm sitting there going like, like I didn't throw a pick in this game. I didn't. In fact, I'm going to pull up his numbers because they were, like I said, I, in my opinion, I think this was probably he, probably his best game of the season. Yeah, over 400 um, yards, didn't he? I think I'm pretty sure he had over 400 yards. 
It was. It was definitely over 400, and it was an efficient one, too. And Lamar Jackson was, too, 37 of 43 for 442 and four touchdowns, and then 14 carries for 62 yards. Mark Andrews also balled out big time, 11 catches, 147, two touchdowns, and the game-tying two-point conversion with just about 40-some-odd seconds left. But Carson Wentz. In this game, um, 25 of 35. I mean, that's that's about as good as you can ask from a quarterback. And so, I mean, like, Lamar Jackson was 442, but that was completing more passes than Carson Wentz even attempted. That was completing 37 passes. Carson Wentz attempted 35. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, he threw for an extra 40 yards, but I mean, Carson Wentz, 11 and a half yards per completion, was sacked just twice, a quarterback rating of 128.5. You know, Lamar Jackson's was 140.5, but that's because largely he rushed for 62 yards um, on the ground. And so that, that obviously makes a difference. Whereas Carson Wentz, that's not at all really his game. Two carries, five yards, that's probably about average. Um, about two yards more than I would want him to run. Yeah, I mean, like that's those are just scrambling out of sack situations, is all that is. I mean, and like I said, he was sacked twice, but no, you know, no interceptions in this game. Um, he did lose a fumble, so he did have one turnover, but still, I mean, just a pretty good game from him. And so for him to sit there on the sidelines and not even get to come in the game, just, just really bad. And, and we almost saw this exact thing happen in week one to the Ravens. If if the stupid Raiders, and like, I'm sorry, but they're just a stupid football team. I've been watching them for a long time, and they just do stupid things, and they managed to win that game, but they should have been able to walk that off, and instead you get dumb penalties, and then you end up throwing an interception from the five-yard line, and and the NFL then is going to say, see, the defense stopped them, and that's why they got a chance to to possess the ball, but it's like, come on, like that's so dumb. And the odds of that happening are so tiny. And so it just, but you almost saw Lamar Jackson. In fact, if the dude didn't even step out of bounds, which he barely did at like the three yard line, I mean, the initial call was touchdown and it was going to be walking them off with Lamar Jackson, not even seeing the field. And so here's a former MVP and one of the most dynamic playmakers and if not the most dynamic playmaker, I, I would argue he's more dynamic than Mahomes. Mahomes can kind of make some crazier throws, but Lamar can just take off at any given time and get like eight yards or 80 yards um, with what he can do on the ground. And he's proven time and time again now that he can throw the ball. I mean, 400 yards is no no joke. And 37 to 43, I mean, that means you're throwing the ball more than 10 yards per completion. So it's not, you know, it's not the like, well, yeah, he's 37 to 43 for, you know, 280 yards because he's throwing these little three-yard dump-off passes. Like, he's throwing the ball down the field. Um, better so one than of the most I dynamic expected. Like, way better than I thought he would this year. Yeah, I mean, he just continues to get better as a passer. Now, he still has kind of weird mechanics, but, like, who cares? 
Who cares if he looks... I need to be careful how I say this so we don't get booted off the air. Like, <laughs> who cares if... We'll just say, who cares if he looks like he didn't even know how to throw a football? Like, I don't care if he stands back there and he holds it by the, you know, by the tip mm. and throws it from the tip and it just goes end over end like a kickoff. Like, yeah. I don't care. If you're going 340 or 37 to 43 for 442, four touchdowns, like, I don't care if you're out there throwing it blindfolded or with your opposite hand. I don't care what your mechanics look like. Obviously, it's working. Um, and yeah, I mean, and we've seen other quarterbacks like that. Phillip Rivers had a fairly unconventional uh, way of throwing the football, but was one of the better quarterbacks in the league year in and year out when he was in the league. Um, you know, there's there's other guys like that too, but, uh, you know, it's working and he's destroying the narrative. Like, if people are still saying at this point that Lamar Jackson can't throw the football, like, I think it was a fair criticism of him coming out of Louisville and coming into the league, that there was concern because of his mechanics and because of his playmaking ability being so primary to the running game and whether or not that would really translate to the NFL. I I don't see how anyone could still have that concern about this guy at this stage. After, after what I've seen so far this year, I I don't think that would be accurate to say that. So, um, but I think last year and the year before very clearly, like it, he wasn't really comfortable with it wasn't something that he was doing effectively or efficiently. But I think that this year he has taken huge steps forward um, in regards to how he throws the football. So, you know, but I've, I mean, I've been very critical of that prior to this season. I even mentioned, I think at the beginning of the season that if he can't throw the football, that will be what will hinder them from being a legit contender for the Super Bowl. He's going to play at this level this year and be able to throw the football this way. I think there's a chance that they can be a contender and I get that like he is comfortable being the leading rusher and the Ravens are comfortable with him being the leading rusher and you might even be comfortable with him being the leading rusher but I still would like there to be some relief off of that and to be able to have a more dynamic running game than just Lamar scrambling out of the pocket or or a design QB keeper. Yeah, I mean, I think from his health standpoint, I don't know that it's a great idea. The, the only reason I say I don't necessarily have a problem with him being the leading rusher is because he can go for, you know, over 100. And so, like, again, like, Josh Allen is maybe the only other quarterback that I would say maybe I'm okay with him being the leading rusher and even him less than Lamar. Um, no one else really that I can think of off the top of my head in the NFL it shouldn't be any other quarterback. Um, you know, I think of maybe a guy like Deshaun Watson, but he's not even playing. And he's still not, like, his running is more of, like, the Aaron Rodgers or the Justin Herbert that we talked about. Yeah. But with, like, he's a step above those guys, but he's not a guy that's just looking to take off with his feet all the time. Like, he's still a pocket passer. And he's an outside, like, he's a... He's a playmaker, um, but yeah, I mean, there really aren't many people that I think that's a good idea for, um, you know, and Lamar last night, he did lead him with 62 yards. 
Um, but that's really because no one else did anything. Latavius Murray, six carries for 17, was the next closest. Um, Tyson Williams, four carries for six. And Devontae Freeman, like who was once one of the top backs in the NFL, one carry for one yard. So you're um, talking about 11, only 11 carries were given to running backs. Like, and that's where I feel like there's issue. It's not that I, it's not because Lamar can't, but I don't think 60 yards is good enough. Like if you're going to be the leading rusher, like 60 yards isn't good enough. In my opinion, like a lot of times that's not going to be good enough. Um, yeah, like I get what you're saying. Like, I, I think that the abandoning of the run game had more to do with falling down as much wait, as yeah, they sure. did. Yeah. Um, and and 43 attempts. I mean, I don't think again him being capable and it being a recipe are not the same, right? So like, right. Yep. obviously he showed that he can throw 43 times, and and he was good as far as that goes you know four touchdowns no interceptions um but i don't think that's a formula for them right um and i think the ravens they're just such an interesting team because they typically seem to be and and even lamar jackson seems to be more of a front runner style but again he's kind of destroyed that narrative now with a 3-1 record in games that he's trailed by more than two touchdowns so um I don't know. Like this Ravens team, I feel like I'm still not sold on them. I mean, like I said, I I have them as the third best team in the AFC, so that's no you know, no small thing. Um right now, I think they're the clear-cut in my opinion, they're the clear-cut best team in the North. Um I've seen too many like struggles from Cleveland right now. I think Cincinnati just still lacks probably the experience. Yeah. Um, again, they're not going to be the pushover that maybe they've been in years past, and they maybe can get you know sneak out a couple of these wins against some tough teams. But, um, but the Ravens just—I mean, they're they're the best team in the AFC North right now. They're sitting in first place in the AFC North as well. Uh, and they needed to be like they needed this win for that reason because Cincinnati lost and Cleveland lost and even though Pittsburgh won they're still two games ahead of them so like you didn't want if you lose then you're still tied for first and Pittsburgh's one game behind and all of a sudden it's very bunched up so like that was a big win for them um and hats off to them uh, uh for being able to come back and get the win it wasn't the way i certainly thought it was i mean I don't think when you pick a guarantee, you're thinking, I guarantee that they win this by coming back from 16 points down in the final eight minutes and then winning in overtime. Right. After um, a missed field goal. After a missed field goal, yeah. I mean, I was sitting there thinking, oh, here we go. We're going to overtime. And then I was like, oh, man, like 40-some-odd seconds left. Like, there's actually some time in this game right now. Like, there's, there's still time for the Colts, who I think had – two timeouts even. Um, and so 39 seconds, I guess. So they scored, they, they tied the game with 39 seconds left. Um, and then, you know, it was a touchback, but I mean, if you look, so here's, here's the final drive. Cause I know you, you had a long day and, and kind of went to bed early. I was keyed up. I just got done playing basketball. So um, if we go to their last drive here, so 
First and 10 from the 25, 39 seconds. Carson Wentz to Campbell uh, at the 48-yard line. So 23 yards on the very first play, and he got out of bounds. So they didn't even have to burn a timeout. Wow. Then, uh, first and 10 from the, from the 48, incomplete pass. Uh, 32 seconds. Second and 10, incomplete and an offensive holding penalty hmm. uh, enforced at the 48. So they were back at their own 38-yard line, second and 20 with 18 seconds. And at this point, I'm like, okay, this is going to be tough now. They can work the middle of the field because they did have two timeouts. But I'm like, this is going to be tough. And then on second and 20, he he had a two-yard completion and it was about to be third and 18. And then they got an unnecessary roughness penalty, 15 yards that, that took them to um, the Baltimore 45 um, and an automatic first down. So they went from like their goose being cooked from having a shot to win this in overtime, in my opinion, to now, okay, we have two timeouts and 18 seconds left. Wow. And so, or sorry, 13 seconds left, but still at the 45, you can work the middle of the field with two timeouts. You could run a draw. You could run a screen. Like there's a lot of options and you only really need to get like 10 yards. Yeah. And so, and that's what they did. So they went middle of the field and they had a 15 yard completion down to the 30. And then they called their second timeout. And so then it's first and 10 at the 30 with six seconds left. And Carson Wentz, they did a quarterback sneak, but it was, they were kind of left hash. And they did the quarterback sneak just to line it up center and then called timeout with four seconds left. And then a 47 yard field goal, which, you know, I mean, that's pretty reasonable for an NFL kicker, though. I mean, obviously not in week five. Um, but yeah, then he misses that, and then the Colts don't come back on the field on offense the rest of the game. And I think that's really where the shame is because, I mean, at the end of the day, they kind of just ran out of time in regulation. Yeah. Um, and it's almost one of those where it's like, how important was moving the ball two feet to the right? <laughs> you know, because if you maybe give him an extra five yards, on an out route, or it doesn't even have to be an out route. Again, you can work the whole field. Now, there was only six seconds, so it's got to be a very quick play, and you got to tell your receiver, like, as soon as you get this, you go give down. yourself up and go down. Yeah. You know, and you can't take a sack. I mean, you could even take a intentional grounding before you take a sack, except that might that might be a runoff penalty. But you could still use your last time out. So, like, I, I don't know. It just... Again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and it's easy to say, hey, they moved it to the middle of the field and he still shanked it to the left. But, man, you just... My, my point is more, you know, they did that because of time running out, and then it comes down to a coin toss of whether or not they even had a chance to step back onto the field, and so, that's where I would just – I'd much rather see the college where the coin toss just determines who gets the ball first and who plays defense first. So here's my, here's my final question to you then since 
this has been one of those weeks where like like you mentioned it was interesting for the reason that it was which was the missed kicks and all the opportunities missed there going forward do you think that more teams will consider you know going forward on fourth down going forward on two point conversions in situations where it's questionable like I know you've got to have faith in your kicker, right? Like you want to have faith in your kicker. And, and in defense, the Packers trotted Mason Crosby out at, at you know as in the final moments of overtime for his fourth attempt at a field goal, and he did hit it. Sure, but you know there's some kickers that you don't want to go up against, right? Like Greg Zerline, Robbie Gold, Justin Tucker. Like you don't want to go up against those kickers. So like he had missed three, and yes. The Bengals kicker missed too, but you're not going to get those opportunities a lot. Like that's just a, such a one-off bizarre thing. So like, do you think going forward from this, do you think we're going to see more two-point conversions? Are we going to see more go going forward on fourth down? It's like, what's, what's your, your, you know, what, what's the outlook going forward? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think so necessarily. Um, what I see maybe instead or or maybe first before it goes quite that far is kickers having short leashes and i'm not talking about in a game i'm talking about on the team mm. like if you're going out and you're missing so kaimi fairbairn for mm. the you know for the texans comes out and misses i can't remember which order but he missed the first two extra points of the game and one was wide right and one was wide left. And I know like, you know, Katie Nolan, um, you know, rest her ESPN soul. Um, she did this thing where she, she brought these guys on who were making fun of college kickers of like, man, anybody could hit that. That was a 30 yarder or whatever. And she brought them to like this practice facility and had them try to kick the field goals that were, and without defense or anything and just try to kick the field goals that they were making fun of these kickers for, for missing. And, you know, obviously it went about how you would expect <laughs> from a guy sitting on the couch. Yeah. But I mean, here's my only problem with that argument. Cause I hear that argument a lot of like, well, what have you done with your career? Like, well, yeah, I'll, I'm not a professional athlete, but I'm also not being paid like one, you know, like, I'm not being like I I have to go I mean now I'm I'm a pastor so my line of work is different than a lot of people's but I spent a lot of time in retail and it's like I had to go to work you know 5 days a week and put in 45 to 50 hours and you know just deal with a lot of times upset people and bureaucracy and just all kinds of different things and there's people that work a lot more like physically demanding jobs than I ever have um a lot more physically demanding jobs you could argue in some ways than than some of these professional athletes do. And so like I always feel like that's kind of a lame cop out of like, well, you wish that you could do that. Like, yeah, kinda, I guess, but but I'm not. And so I'm not getting paid to do that. Like this is that person's job. Like if I sucked at my job, I would get fired. Yeah. And so it's like if you suck at your job, why is someone calling for you to be fired a bad thing? Like <laughs> You know, well, I, and so I think like, I think what you're going to see is kickers have a little bit shorter leash of if you're missing multiple extra points and I get that they moved it back, but it's still what, like a 
24 yard kick or something. Yeah. I mean, like it's a chip shot for anybody still. I mean, and it was always considered from that distance a chip shot field goal. So why is it all of a sudden just so this hard. unrealistic, you know, thing? And I think as long as you're having guys like Justin Tucker kick from 60 plus, that's not helping those guys that are missing from 32. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it may cause some teams in the immediate to look at the analytics a little bit more and particularly on a, a fourth and short situation, like a fourth and one or even anything short of five. Uh, I think the other thing you'll, you'll look at is maybe more of a propensity to do that. If the other team's defense hasn't been particularly stopping you, or you've maybe had a play or type of play that is, is working. Or if your defense has pretty much been shutting them down, that it's like, okay, you know, if we turn the ball over here, we're on their 40 yard line. Uh, and I, I feel like our defense can keep them from going, you know, 30 yards to to get into field goal range. So I, I don't know exactly. Um, I mean, it's a good question. And sports seems to be evolving more and more along the lines of those analytics anyway. So maybe maybe we see more of that happening. Um, but I would say more in the immediate that you're going to see. I would not be surprised. I haven't seen any yet, but I would not be surprised to see some kickers get released um, and and just be on shorter leashes in the game and then in their career. Like, you get, like, two misses in a game and then we're not trotting you back out there. And then you you have a couple misses over a couple games and we're not trotting you back out in our uniform anymore. Mm. Um, you know, for, you know, go play for some team in the South where it's always sunny or where you're playing a bunch of games in a dome or something or whatever it is that's causing you to have problems on our team. like. We appreciate what you've done for us in the past, but it, yeah, it's, it's too much. Here's what I would, here's what I would be saying though, if I was an owner and, and I'm watching, like if I'm the, well, the Packers don't really have an owner, but they still have someone that kind of fills that role. Um, or the Bengals owner or the Texans owner, like I'm sitting in those off season meetings and I'm I'm asking for changes to overtime for that very reason though. Mm. Because I mean, like, you're you're basically saying, like, you know, I, I want a chance to possess the football regardless. And I don't want to be I don't want a game being left up to a kicker where now like if if I'm Carson Wentz, I'm saying we gotta have a better overtime rule because I did my part in 39 seconds and actually with four seconds left. So I did my part in 35 seconds. I put us in position to be able to win this game and the ball, you know, is taken out of my hands and, and put at the feet of our kicker and he misses. And then the ball's never put back in my hands. And so like, that's, that's where I think if I'm an owner, I'm looking at things like that and I'm saying, Kickers like this one point here and three points there, that can't be deciding a game in regulation. Like it like kicking is a part of the game. I'm not trying to say it that way. Like it can decide games. I'm fine with it deciding games. 
what I'm not fine with is if a kick is going to decide a game and it causes a game to go into overtime and then the team that the team that just missed the potential winning field goal. And again, we've talked about this before and I know I've given you a hard time about it and you've kind of backed off of this position a little bit, but like, uh, like the Ravens didn't really do much of anything. I mean, they ran at him and they put their hands up and tried to block it, but I mean, they blocked a field goal earlier in the game, but it's not like they blocked it. Like the dude just missed it. And then they're rewarded by the fact that he missed it. Then they're rewarded again by the fact that a head came up over a tails or whichever, you know, in overtime, it fell their way, like a, a completely left to chance. That's the the thing that I think I hate about it the most is that a game can be decided by something that is completely left to chance. Um, and in a professional sport with professional athletes and playmakers, I think most people, if they're honest, would say, I would rather see... I'd rather see a game go into five overtimes because guys are just making plays all over the field than I'd rather just hope that my team happens to get the coin toss and then I'm going to cross my fingers that we can score a touchdown on the opening drive. Like I get that it doesn't always happen, but my point is just that it never should. It should never happen it like in a professional sport, you should have to play defense, in my opinion. I guess is that's the other argument. Is you're letting the Ravens off the hook from having to play defense when their defense was getting burned on the final drive, it just ran out of time. I yeah. mean, like their defense had just gotten carved up to the tune of like 45 yards in 35 seconds, and they ran out of time. And then instead of you know, a, a tired Baltimore defense having to go right back out on the field and have their back against the wall where if the Colts score a touchdown, the game's over. And then if you're Baltimore, you're ticked off because it's like, man, we came all the way back and then we didn't even get to touch the ball. Like, there's no way any team out there, anyone with any kind of competitive spirit is going to just hate a situation where you don't even get a chance to tie or to go to win the game or or whatever like it just is a terrible terrible system um you know i the only way that the offense should not touch the ball is just like in college and that's a a defensive touchdown because then you don't you don't need to possess the ball on offense so that's the only scenario that you know someone like Carson Wentz or Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, you know, or, you know, pick your poison of that, you know, Dak, Dak Prescott. There's a lot of quarterbacks that I would hate to have on my team and that I know could give me a chance to win a football game if only they could touch the, like, touch the football, especially Mahomes because the Chiefs' defense is terrible. So you just, I mean, you pretty much just have to win the coin toss against the Chiefs in overtime, and you've got probably a substantially higher chance of winning that game than against other teams. So, yeah, it just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't like it at all, and I think it would be so easy to fix. Eliminate ties. Like, ties are stupid, especially in football. Like, 
guys are out there killing each other for 60 minutes and then you make them do it for 15 more and potentially end the game tied. I mean, of all the idiotic things. I don't know. Did I rant enough about that? I mean, did I, men- <laughs> did I mention I don't like the NFL overtime? <laughs> yeah, it just is what it is. And it's a broken system. And like I mentioned, like, you know, one, I think the only time we really heard a lot of you know um, pushback against it is is in, in you know in that AFC championship game between New England and, and Kansas City like you know I I've talked about how Mahomes legitimately got robbed of his chance to play in three consecutive Super Bowls yep. and uh and like you know even if you want to just take the the questionable penalties out of it like he still should have been able to touch the ball and he didn't so yeah. And, and when you're talking about sending a team to the Super Bowl on that rule, man, that's unsettling. And uh, now, was that the what was that the Super Bowl that was that New England and Philly? I what would it have? No, it would have had to been uh, later after. It would have to been after that, or would it was it? Or was it the Falcons? No, the Falcons were before Philly. Because I'm trying to think, like, I'm trying to think, like, did Tom Brady get a ring from that is the only reason I'm asking that question. I I don't think it was Philly because I think they played Philly in, like, what, 2016? Seems like it's been a little while since that, since that Super Bowl. Um, it would have to be within, like, the last, what, four years if it was Mahomes. Yeah, um, so this would have been in 2019, January of 2019. Okay. Let's and they see. won 37 31 in overtime. So then, who would the Patriots have played in the Super Bowl in 2019? It would have been against the 49ers. They won the championship against the 49ers. Are you sure? No, you're thinking because Kansas City played the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Oh, then was it. Was it Seattle? What did they have played in 2019? I don't know, but we're sounding like terrible sports podcasters. <laughs> we can't even remember. It was the Rams. That's who it was. It was the Rams. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In a very low-scoring Super yeah. Bowl. 13-3, to three, so, so he yeah. did get a so ring. So Tom Brady won a ring. <laughs> yeah. Okay, come on, Goodell. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Tom Brady. I've done that for a lot of my life. And I've just finally come to the point, especially since he's been in Tampa and and he's like 57 years old and still quarterbacking at a high level. But come on. Like that dude, I will say this about Tom Brady. Like that dude has benefited from some rules. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't get me started on the tuck rule. And I, again, I hate the Raiders, but man, look at the trajectory that each of those teams went on from the tuck rule forward. Because that was like 2002. The Patriots went on to win like four or five more Super Bowls after that. And the Raiders just went into oblivion after being in the Super Bowl the year before. Um, and then that rule's been changed since. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because sometimes you have to recognize that some rules are stupid and that you have to change them for the betterment of the game. And that's what needs to happen here. I think what we need to do is... At some point, like maybe, maybe in the uh, 
in the postseason sometime or maybe in like that week between uh, the AFC NFC championship and the Super Bowl because no one really cares anymore about the Pro Bowl. And maybe yeah. we can talk about, or we do it in the off season, but we can talk about maybe just our own personal proposed rule changes. Cause I have some others that I think are kind of stupid too. Um, and there's some other rule changes I'd like to see, but like if I could only pick one in the NFL right now, it would be the overtime rule and it would be for each team to possess the ball. However you want to make it work. Like I don't even really care how you do it, but both teams need to possess the ball. Personally, I would do it from the 50 untimed, no ties. Other than that, I don't care if you want to do all two point conversions or whatever to bring it to a close faster. I don't care, but you got to have both, both guys. I mean, because that's, yeah, that's Patrick Mahomes potentially winning two Super Bowls back-to-back in his second and third year in the league. I mean, that's just insane. Um, And and being the catalyst behind it. And instead, it's the... So you know how they always talk about the Surrender Cobra? Do you know what that is? No. Okay, so the Surrender Cobra, it's something that... It gets pointed out a lot in college sports, in college football. The surrender cobra, and I wish we had this a little bit on video just for this. I don't really like being on video a lot, but I wish we had it for this. But it's when you it's when you realize your team has lost or like just like given up a chance to win, maybe, and you put both hands on the back of your head with your elbows out behind okay. your head making kind of that cobra look they call that the surrender cobra because it's like oh you know it's over like that's your white flag and um my favorite my favorite surrender cobra of all time was a dude that actually even kind of looked like me kind of a shaggy red-haired dude um except the one thing that he looked like me and that i'll never look like is he was wearing a michigan shirt mm-hmm. um but it was after the blocked punt in the michigan michigan state game ah uh, yes um and it like and it was memed and everything and it's just this kid looking dejected in the surrender cobra pose um i don't know how i got off on the surrender cobra but um oh so the surrender cobra of the nfl is a player and it's the quarterback standing on the sidelines with his hands like on either side of his collarbone holding his pads to so they don't apparently like they're filled with helium and they're just going to float away. Otherwise, like, but I mean, every quarterback does it. They all just stand there and it's like, it's the surrender Cobra of the NFL. It's the defeated quarterback. Like it's the, the surrender collarbone, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like they're just standing there like, man, sure would be nice if like I got to be on offense. So yeah, I, I got to stop. Cause I could go on about this forever, but and to our defense, because we're going to get crap about this whole, like, not remembering what Super Bowl that was, that was by far the most boring Super Bowl that I've ever watched in my life, so. Yeah, that was, it was like the Rams, the Rams dictated that being boring. And what I mean by that is, like, they played really good defense to keep the Patriots in check, but then they just, I don't know that it was the Patriots' defense so much as the Rams' offense was just inept. Yeah. Um, and wasn't golf playing with like a broken finger or something too? Like he, he had missed time in the playoffs and was, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure playing injured 
in the Super Bowl. Um, and oh, yeah, that was sure. just that was that was boring. Now the least dynamic quarterback Super Bowl of all time was the Ravens and Giants. Harry Collins versus Trent Dilfer. The fact that that was a Super Bowl matchup, like last year, we have Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback to ever play in the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes, like considered by some the greatest current quarterback in the NFL, certainly one of the top probably three to five. And that's your Super Bowl matchup. And man, it gave us everything you could have wanted. And then this one, you got Kerry Collins and Trent Dilfer. <laughs> I mean, good gracious. At least like the Colts Bears, you know, you had Rex Grossman, but at least you had Peyton Manning on the other side. Yeah. You know, I mean, and even when Peyton was like broken down in his old age and his two Super Bowls with Denver, you had Russell Wilson on the other side in one. You had um, Cam Newton, who had just won the MVP on the other side and the other, like Superman and all that kind of stuff, like Trent Dilfer and Kerry Collins. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Man, I forgot how bad that was. That That's just embarrassing. That was like 2003-ish, something like that, I think. Um, both teams were there because of their defense, just historic dominating defenses. And then they get their kind of despite quarterback play. Uh, Trent Dilfer, fun fact. Um, so the Ravens actually got rid of Trent Dilfer in the offseason after they won the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> and he is the first, and to this point, I think only quarterback, other than like Elway and Peyton Manning, who retired after their last Super Bowls, he's the only quarterback in NFL history to be the starting quarterback of a Super Bowl winning team and and be like a free agent the next year, like not not be on the team the, the following season. The only time it's ever happened in the 50, 60 years of the NFL. 60 years of the NFL. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> it was bad. You were just a young pup then, so you didn't have to, you probably didn't watch the uh, Ravens-Giants juggernaut matchup. Oh, my goodness. No, I, I did not, no. Somebody shoot me in the face. Oh, it was <laughs> so, I like it. But even it was more entertaining than the Patriots-Rams. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, there have been some exciting Super Bowls, and the, the Rams usually bring a lot of excitement to the Super Bowl, especially like the greatest show on turf, those Super Bowls with Kurt Warner and sure, yeah. like, you know, Isaac Bruce and those guys like Marshall Falk, like that, that was a lot of fun. And one of the most exciting Super Bowls I ever watched was the Rams Titans. We're just small talking. A lot of people do this at the beginning of their podcast. We're doing it at the end, but Rams Titans, Kevin Dyson from Steve McNair, and he like is reaching to the goal line and he's down at the one yard line with like four seconds and they can't get up to the line fast enough and time expires. Like they were literally three feet from either tying or winning. I can't remember, but I mean, literally it coming down to that, that close of one, the, um, the Arizona Pittsburgh, uh, Super Bowl was a lot of fun with Kurt Warner and Ben Roethlisberger. Oh. Um, Larry Fitzgerald played incredible in that game. Yeah. I mean, there've been some really, really exciting Super Bowls. Even like, I mean, a lot of the ones, as much as I hate to say it, that the Patriots have won. I mean, I remember, I think it was 2000 and 
four um, was uh, the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I mean, you, Jake DeLome starting at quarterback. Tishmanga Biakabatuka starting at running back <laughs> for the Carolina Panthers. Um, well, I always thought and, those, like, even outside of the Super Bowl, like, when you're talking about New England, I always thought a lot of those um, Colts-Patriots AFC Championship games were super entertaining. Oh, yeah. And it was just, like, it was one of those where it was like, man, if at any point in his career Peyton Manning could have had a dominating defense. Yeah. Be- and well, the, well, the year they won the Super Bowl, well, both of his Super Bowls kind of really good defenses. Yeah, in fact, he didn't play particularly well in that Bears Super Bowl. No, or in, um, or in the Broncos one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had an interception in both. I mean, granted, he was he was a shell of himself in Super Bowl Fifty, but yeah, yeah I mean, to your point, um, he didn't play particularly well in those. But just what he brings, like with his brain and stuff to the table, and yeah. his ability to change plays on the fly, and all of that, like. His Super Bowls were always always exciting. The New Orleans one was really exciting, even though they lost that one. Um, I guess the Seattle one wasn't particularly exciting. I tried to scrub forty eight from my memory. That game when the, when the opening quickly. snap went over his head, <laughs> it was the over, dude's yeah. like six four, six five. Like, how do you snap? Like, <laughs> how is that even like physically possible? You, I feel like you almost have to be. I mean, it was, I guess he wasn't lined shoulder, up under center, still, was he? I thought, I thought that? You, I, he wasn't actually lined up under center at that time when it was snapped, wasn't he? I thought he was like, was he leaned over talking to the running back or was he looking the other? I don't, I don't think he was lined up under center, was he? Well, I mean, he was behind center. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't under center. He was in like, they ran a lot of this weird pistol formation and he may have been in, in that or a shotgun. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, if I remember right, he had like just turned his head as it's being, as the yeah. ball's being snapped. So it's almost like he watched it in slow motion, <laughs> fly past, you know, him. going over his shoulder. And I mean, and then when you come out in the second, like, okay, if you want any chance to get back in this game, that's like you're getting it handed to you. But you've seen them come make some crazy comebacks with Peyton Manning. Like they got down like 21 or 24 nothing I remember against the Chargers and came back and won that game. It's maybe the greatest Broncos comeback game I'd ever seen because, I mean, it just looked like they were going to get absolutely trucked by the Chargers, and he came back and won. I was at a Nuggets game that night in Denver, but I could where my seats were, I was close enough to the the box seats that I could watch the Broncos game on the TV <laughs> and I'm just seeing this. I'm getting these updates on my phone of the score alerts and it's like Chargers seven, nothing Chargers 14, nothing 17, nothing 24. I'm just like, good night. And then all of a sudden they just methodically came back and won. So it's like, okay, you never want to count Peyton Manning now. I mean, they had that crazy comeback against Tampa Bay when he was with the Colts, like all in the fourth quarter. So you just never want to count the guy out. Um, and it's like, you just got to like stop them here. And they returned the opening kick of the second half for a touchdown. And it's just like, okay, yeah, this is not, nothing is going to go right in this yeah. game. I think, and then they scored eight. It was 43 to eight. I mean, Denver has been on the wrong side of some ugly Super Bowls. But anyway, we need to wrap this up. We could small talk for a while. I was going to go to the movies tonight, but um when we got talking about one of those games i realized we weren't going to finish in time so i'm like oh we'll talk about how stupid the nfl overtime rule is and that always takes a fair amount of time because it's that stupid 
I won't get started on it again. Um, the Thursday night game, we need to preview the, or not even, I don't even really want to preview it. We'll just talk about it very briefly. Thursday night is Tampa and Philly. Um, this one, by all accounts, there's really no reason Tampa Bay shouldn't have a pretty easy go of it. Um, in this game, I'm just trying to get the spread pulled up here. It's seven. Um, it's a road game for Tampa Bay, and the spread is seven right now. And it's still seven, yeah. Um, so what do you like? I mean, you like them. I'm sure you like Tampa Bay. Do you like them to cover seven points on the road? Absolutely. I think they – I think I'll take them by 14, actually. Yeah, I think they win this easily. Um, there's really no one outside of Dallas that has impressed me in the NFC East. Um the Washington football team kind of has some moments um, and they have, I'd be all about them having one of those moments this week and just punishing the chiefs again. That would be just amazing. Um, I don't think they have the offensive firepower to do that. Um, I don't know. But I would, I'd, like I almost want to, I almost want to take, like, I know we're not previewing this game yet, but I almost would want to take Washington to win that game. And if that were to happen, I would go as far to say that the Chiefs like could miss the playoffs. Ooh boy, y'all are gonna need to stay tuned because um we're gonna have an NFL preview coming up here in a couple of days. This has been the week five recap though. Um just to recap our our picks here um from that week. So we both picked the Rams and we're correct. Uh we both picked the Packers and we're correct. Um, I got the Chargers. We both picked the Chiefs and were wrong. And then I had the Cardinals. Um, and then you had the Steelers. Uh, so I ended plus one this week. Uh, we both got our guarantees. Yours looked more like a reasonable guarantee. And mine looked more like I didn't know what I was doing. And I just threw out a dartboard. But I still got it. And that's all that matters. And I don't have to pick the uh, up and down Ravens again. Um, so that's good at least. Um, so we'll have to, I did, I already picked, I already picked Tampa and I'm certainly not picking Philly. So I don't have to worry about that for this week either. Um, so that's all we have for you for this episode. I appreciate you hanging out with us and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the NFL overtime rule. Um, maybe even more than your thoughts on the game though. I'd love to get your thoughts on the kicker situation as well. But if if there is anyone listening that thinks that the NFL overtime rule is good as it currently stands, then I'm going to invite you to do two things. Number one, please comment on our Facebook page and tell us why um, that you think that. And number two, I'm giving you a personal invite to be on the That's Debatable podcast to present your case to all of our listeners for why the NFL and I don't think anybody's going to take us up on this. And I no. think that proves the point of how stupid it is. Um, and, and we have probably a limited listenership, but that's beside the point um, <laughs> of the people that listen. There's no, like there is nobody. I, I'll be shocked unless someone is just wanting to play devil's advocate and good luck because then I think we'll have a rare moment of unity between Mark and I, and we'll, we will like co-destroy you in that argument. <laughs> so I would challenge anyone to come on and make a case of why the NFL overtime is good. 
the way that it is, especially with the dynamic playmakers in the NFL. That's all we have for this episode. That's been the That's Debatable Podcast NFL Week 5 Wrap-Up. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash tdpodcast2021. Also on Twitter, at tdpodcast2021. We'd love to hear from you. And again, we'll leave that invite out there. If you want to come take the NFL's position on overtime, or if you would just like to be a guest on the show, maybe you feel like we just are missing your NFL or college football intellect. Um, we'd love to have you on. We've had Matt Lounsbury on a couple of times for college football. Uh, I have a potential guest lined up for this weekend. Uh, we'll see if that pans out or not, uh, probably for college football and possibly the NFL also. Uh, but we'd love to have you join us uh, on the podcast sometime. So hit us up and we can make that happen. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.